on WJFS Media, powered by Black Ivy Media. It's your girl, Rita Pierre, your host. And as always, I hope you guys are striving, thriving, and surviving in these streets. So happy new week, everyone. I hope you guys are having an amazing weekend and are ready to get into this new week. So today we have an amazing guest by the name of Marley Marcellus Laurent. She is my former work wife. I am the godmother to two of her babies. She's a very good friend of mine, but even more importantly, she is an attorney. She is the mother of three and she is an advocate for black maternal health care. So for those of you who don't know, April 11th through the 17th is black maternal health week. And during this time, we raise awareness for the issues that uh, appears within maternal health care, addressing racial disparities and really just highlighting how critical of an issue this is. And so um, Black Ivy Media, we are actually having an in-person panel discussion to discuss and address the racial disparities in maternal health care. So on Friday, April 28th, from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we are going to discuss uh, the topic, of course, but also engage into some bold solutions, right? We want to reduce the number of black women who are losing their lives in childbirth. We want to eradicate the statistic that black women are more than likely than their counterparts to lose their lives um, during childbirth. And so we have an amazing panel of Assemblywoman Rodnice Bishot Hermelin, who is a staunch advocate for black maternal health care. She has had personal experiences with inequities within the health care, and she's going to share her story. We have the amazing Dr. Leslie Kernissan, who has been an OBGYN for about 40 years now, um, is an advocate in the community who is the deputy chief medical officer of Morris Heights Health Center, which is a women's clinic right here in the heart of Flatbush, Brooklyn. We have Samuel Pierre, who is the executive director of Haitian American Caucus, an activist in the community, and who's also unfortunately had personal experiences with inequities within the healthcare system. And Rona Taylor, who is the executive director of East Flatbush CDC, who um, is a former doula and is a birth worker who can also lend her uh, experience and her knowledge to this very, very serious topic. And so we have this panel happening. It's a free event at the Brooklyn Commons, 495 Flatbush Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. If you are if you're in the area and you would love to attend, you can slip into our DMs at Black Ivy Media or according to our P or in the link in bio, you can register for this free event. We have a lot in store, so you definitely want to make it in person. We are doing our best to have a live stream for those of you who are not in the New York City area but want to attend. We are working on getting a live stream for you all. 
Uh, but today on today's show, we have Marley Marcellus, who is going to talk about her personal experiences with the inequities, facing the inequities in black in maternal health care as a black woman and this episode was just so touching marley is a very close friend of mine again i am the godmother to her children and so i know her personally but listening to her story and and, and essentially reliving some of the horrors um it just and and mind you recently it just really shows me that we have so much more to go we have not come far enough and when you're thinking about professional black women attorneys right um she's married her husband is a professional in the healthcare system to still have to endure um these issues to still have to endure these inequities and face these challenges it's it's mind-boggling and so i don't want to give too much away because you know sometimes when i get on the soapbox i give too much away but i want you guys to really keep it locked tune in and really hear what she has to say we definitely talk about our experiences because myself as a mother i did experience um inequities as well too in the healthcare system and looking back and, and reliving the, con- you know, the, the situation as I'm having this conversation, it really brought, uh, brought up some real emotions. But we talk about how can we move forward? What can we do as black women to really, you know, reduce these numbers? What can we do as black men? Because we address the black men. Um, who are present um, in these situations. Marley's husband, very active, very involved, very in tune. And the importance of why our partners, whether you're married, whether this is your girlfriend, whether this is your side, you know, because we have to be real here, right? It's important to have that support, that teamwork, especially during childbirth, because unfortunately, a lot of these institutions, you know, they're operating in their biases and at the end of the day, who has to pay for that? The black woman, the family, right? It could be the it could be the life of the mother. It could be the life of the child. So we want to be able to understand like how important teamwork is. And so we talk about that in this episode. So I really hope that you guys come in with an open mind. This message might not be for you specifically because maybe you don't have kids. Maybe you don't have any intentions of having kids, but maybe somebody in your life has, you know, is pregnant or is planning to be pregnant. And this is information that we want to share. I think that in order for us to really make a dent in reducing these numbers, in order for us to, to really see like a change, we have to have these conversations. We have to be open, honest, and candid about our situations. We can't hold back because sharing our story can save the life of another. So in honor of Black Maternal Health Week, which is again from April 11th through the 17th, we want to share our insights. We want to have this conversation to hopefully save another person's life. So with that being said, everyone, uh, we are on to the meat of the show. All right, everyone, I'm here with my very special guest, no stranger to the According to RP platform, because I believe you were here before. Maybe <laughs> once. Maybe once. But welcome, attorney Marley Marcellus Laurent. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> How are you today? I'm good, and I'm so happy to be here. Okay. So 
April is, so within April, there is a week that is dedicated to Black maternal health. I like to kind of take the month to talk about it because it's such an important topic where just this week is not enough in my opinion. But, you know, as this is the the, the week dedicated to it, we wanted to make sure that we had an episode that raised the awareness about Black maternal health. And so I, you know, when we were talking about this event that I'm doing at the end of the month, for those of you who are not aware, there is an event, um, February 28th, it's a Friday from 6.30 to 8 p.m. in Brooklyn. So if you are in the New York City area, please stop by. Um, You can find information on that on the According to RP page, on the Black Ivy Media page, or if you want to just go into Eventbrite and type in Black Ivy Media, you should be able to see the event. But it's an in-person panel discussion um, on, you know, maternal health care and addressing the racial disparities within maternal health care. And so as Marley and I were kind of talking about it, um, it was like, wait, you know, I do need a guest on the actual According to RP platform to speak about this. And who better than Marley? Unfor- and, and it's unfortunate, though, that we have to say, like, who better than Marley to talk about inequities in healthcare? Um, but I'm really happy that you were able to dedicate your time because I know you have three little ones. <laughs> So thank you. But introduce yourself a little bit, because even though you've been on here before, I think that the majority of, I guess, the people might, you know, might not remember, might not know who you are. So refresh us a little bit. Tell us all about who you are, uh, what you do and where you're from. Perfect. Thank you so much, um, Rita. Well, um, you already said my name. Uh, I am a practicing attorney former prosecutor, former work wifey of yours. Um, I'm currently an in-house counsel um, in um, the technology industry. Uh, I am married with three children. I am originally from Haiti, born and raised. Um, So yeah, I'm really happy to be here um, to lend my voice to this very, very important issue. Um, I've had personal experiences um, that gives me a bit of frame of reference mm-hmm. on why this is a crisis. And um, so, yeah, I'm really happy to, that we're going to have this conversation. All right. So, Marley, I know you you just mentioned that you have per, a personal connection to this cause. So can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, your journey through motherhood and what those experiences in the maternal health care looks like, um, just so that we could have a little bit of a flavor as we enter into the conversation? Yes. Um, I think I can tell you that I've had quite a big, uh, a bit of mixed journey in my three pregnancies and deliveries. Um, I've experienced both high and low quality of care from different um, healthcare um, providers. Um, in my approach from my first pregnancy, not knowing what I was getting myself into, navigating everything, to my third and last pregnancy, I think I quickly learned to navigate the healthcare system as a pregnant Black woman, um, knowing what to ask, um, who to seek as my as my healthcare provider, because that's also an important piece. Um, just really prepare myself as much as possible because of everything that I know is happening to Black moms. So I became passionate about my, my, my own maternal health care 
um, both to educate myself and my loved ones, because the crisis itself is relatable. I think as Black women, we have this shared experience on how we treat it when we enter hospitals, ERs, and doctor's offices. So, you know, a lot of us do feel like or concern how they are um, addressed or they are disregarded. All of that gets to the actual consequence of why we have a crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with you there because I, you know, I, I think back on my journey as a black mom being young, you know, younger than I wouldn't say younger than most, but still, you know, younger and not really having a real frame of reference as to what pregnancy really was and not knowing where to get support, not even knowing like what support I needed. Right. And so I think that, you know, to, to piggyback off what, what you, you know, you were saying it's, it's, it is, it's, it's difficult when you are there to navigate on your own. You don't have somebody saying, these are the types of providers you need to look for. These are the types of questions. And so we're forced to, you know, have to do our own research, but in doing our own research, I think that at least for me, I didn't necessarily feel empowered because it's like you're on this new journey of learning. You don't really know what you don't know. And so when you're in the thick of it, researching, but still being pregnant, still having to succumb to doctors, not knowing, like you said, whether your pain, whether your issues are being addressed, it's so overwhelming. Um, And like you said, it lends to the crisis because there's a lack of support, lack of understanding. Um, So yeah, it's, (laughs) as you're talking about it, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. So I want to get a little deeper because you said you experienced both high and low quality of care um, during your three pregnancies, right? And I, I know from knowing you personally, each pregnancy was different. They, yeah. you know, it was just, it was not the same experience, right? Yeah. So can you talk about some of those challenges you faced during your own pregnancies and childbirth experiences? And if you can recall any of the specific disparities or biases you experienced through the healthcare systems? Yeah, I think um, just to kind of give you like a high level uh, uh, overview of my experience with during my first pregnancy, you know, I had like this full plan of having um, natural delivery um, with epidural, but I never thought that I would get to the stage of um, having a C-section mm-hmm. because it, that was never really, um, I knew that that could end up being a reality but I never factored it um, as what was going to happen for me. Um, so I had a, I had a C, an emergency C-section with my first baby because um, while they were trying to get me induced, um, I developed this crazy fever and her um, heart rate started dropping. So um, all of the doctors, um, they got involved and they're like, okay, no, we need to have an emergency. Uh, uh, um, a C-section. Um, that experience itself, because I had, I had a black uh, OBGYN, but you know, in the process of pregnancy and deliveries, it's not just your black OBGYN, right? You go see them on a, on a, a, on a regular schedule, but sometimes they might, they might not, they might end up not being the one to actually do your delivery. It's really, who's like at the hospital on rotation. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I do think that this, my first experience, apart from the emergency C-section, I think it went smoothly because everybody there, they were alert to some of my concern. Um, my husband was very hands-on. He was part of all the process um, and stuff. But my second pregnancy was starkly different, not necessarily during the actual pregnancy, but really at, at the stage of the delivery. Um, when I was being prepared um, for the operation, the anesthesiologist who um, operate, um, who administered my uh, epidural, he did so incorrectly. Um, it took him about almost an hour to uh, administer the um, the epidural. And at this point, everyone in the room, they started getting concerned because when you are scheduled for a C-section, it's, a, it's very time sensitive. Mm-hmm. The doctor's waiting for the preparation and my doctor um, couldn't understand why was it taking so long. And it turns out that after he improperly uh, administered the epidural, he started pouring out, um, he started pouring the anesthesia in my body. But then anytime they did like a test to see if I feel anything, like any pain, I, I, I still feel pain. This process took almost an hour. That at that one, at that point, that's when one of the other doctors who was present was like, wait, okay, we need to get the head anesthesiologist in because something is wrong. Why is she still um, feeling pain after we've gone through this process for such a long time? It was at this very point that I learned that the anesthesiologist who was administering my epidural, he was a student anesthesiologist. That was not, uh, I was not given an option. Mm-hmm. That was the first red flag for me, you know, and I don't want to paint student anesthesiologists in a bad light, but I wish that option was given to me on the outset. And then I, as a patient say, oh, you know what? Um, I would much prefer for um, the uh, uh, main anesthesiologist mm-hmm. to do this. After the delivery because of the amount of anesthesia, uh, anesthesia that went into my body, um, I experienced a lot of numbness. I had, for the 20 to 48 hours, my body was on fire. That's how itchy my body became. And that experience truly traumatized me because as I was recovering, anytime I would speak with a, with a nurse or another doctor, they're like, no, that was not supposed to happen. That is not common. Why did it take 45 minutes for this to be done? And that's when I learned that, wow, more information should have been provided to me. Mm -hmm. Why did it take for him to almost 45 to an hour to um, administer this? They allowed him to pour so much anesthesia in my body. And why during the middle of the process, they didn't realize, oh, maybe if she's still feeling pain, maybe it's because there's something wrong with how the epidural was administered. So that definitely stayed with me when I got pregnant on my last pregnancy. I like to say my last pregnancy. (laughs) We got to put it out there. We got to whisper it so the husband doesn't hear. (laughs) My last pregnancy. That gave me a basis to be more vocal with my providers, letting them know about my past history. Um, I chose my my prior um, um, uh, OBGYN because, you know, she was Black. That was a factor because I'm like, I need that because I think she'll understand 
and have an appreciation for um, my experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that in terms of like getting culturally competent uh, um, healthcare from her, I had a great experience. And when he when he got to the point of um, the delivery, one of the first things that I flagged to the anesthesiologist was, I need to know if um, if you're a student. Um, you know, I was very, very nice, gracefully asked. She was not. But I also, you know, and the reason why it was important for me to know this is because this is my prior experience. And she assured me that, no, this was not supposed to happen. And I guarantee you this will not happen here. And when I tell you my that experience was starkly different just by me having the opportunity to voice my concerns, but not only voicing them because it didn't go to a deaf ear, mm-hmm. they actually actioned my concern. They took into account what my trauma was and they were able to create an environment for me to, to, to reduce the trauma of me. Um, um, uh, having to do another epidural force, another C-section. And one of the factors that even added more of the trauma for me is that uh, the year before I got pregnant with my third child, I learned that a woman in New York actually died. And one of the factors was because the the epidural was administered improperly. So learning all of these information or learning all of these um, incidences and when you're pregnant, it doesn't make it doesn't make the situation better for you right? because you get overwhelmed that am I going to be one of the three women, black women that are likely uh, uh, to die from uh, 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 pregnancy related causes. Yeah. And, you know, as you're talking again, like, it's just like, it's bringing back a lot of memories and it's just bringing back a lot of conversations that I've had with other women who's gone through this. And it's interesting because, you know, you and I are both attorneys. Yeah. I mean, at the time when I was pregnant, I was not. I was only a college graduate, but you know, my personality I think was always still very <laughs> inquisitive. I want to know what's going on. But as an attorney walking in, sometimes you would you would think, right, yeah. that there may be some fear, you know, that this one right here, this patient right here, we may want to have a little extra care with this one yeah. because she might know a thing or two. But it just goes to show it doesn't matter your skin color. It doesn't matter, you know, where your, you know, where your station is in life. It doesn't matter your, you know, your status. At the end of the day, you are a black woman coming into a facility and they are going to treat you how they are going to treat you. And, you know, as you were talking about the second pregnancy, um, I remember, you know, when, when that situation happened and I remember thinking to myself, like, this is a bit crazy. It's a bit crazy. And when it comes to student, student teaching or teaching hospitals, I think that a lot of black women, they, I feel like it's, it's justified almost their fear. I understand having physicians in my family and friends who are physicians that that's part of the, the, the rotation, right? Like, how are you going to learn in, unless you're actually in the field? But it does make it, especially when the statistics are so much, you know, against us, right? One in three Black women, you know, or one in five, whatever the, the actual um, statistic is, can die during childbirth. 
I think the anxiety is a little more. Yes. And my hospital was a teaching hospital as well, too. And I had a, I didn't have a, a, a similar experience. It was slightly different, but I had an epidural episode as well, too, where mm-hmm. they kept hitting the wrong, I guess, nerve. So they were like, don't move. My leg kept jumping up the entire time mm-hmm. with this big needle in my back. And I'm just like, what is going on here? Um, but it, but it's a teaching hospital. And so yeah. it's, it's kind of my thing as well, too. If I ever embark on that journey again, I'm going to have those, that same list of requirements yeah. that it's not a teach, it's not a teaching hospital, that it's not because it's scary. Yes. It's scary. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about your husband and his involvement in, in this process and, 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 you know, his sentiments, like how, how he was experiencing this alongside of you. Because a lot of times we do talk about, uh, we focus on the women as we should, because we're the ones carrying the babies. We're the ones who are on the table. We're the ones who are at that great risk. But I want to talk about how important um, having, you know, the support of your partner is during, you know, these scary times. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, extremely important. And Rita, you know, you know, my family, you know, you, you, you know, my Ken, Ken yes. is very, very much, he's an involved daddy and he's yes. an involved husband. Um, he's the kind of man who've gone through all of like, all of the, um, the doctor's appointment, making sure that he flagged to whoever that he needs to flag that he's also, um, he works in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he will make sure you know this. <laughs> And and it's helpful because the minute that he flags that, you know, he, he works in healthcare and that I'm an attorney, you can tell like, you know, there's sometimes there's a shift because they know, okay, like this person understand my, my lingo. Um, but one thing I remember, um, just, um, thinking back about my second pregnancy, um, when we, when I had a chance to talk with him post-delivery, one of the things that he shared with me is how scared he was doing the 45 to an hour period, because, you know, my family, my mom and dad, you also know that they also are very involved. Mm-hmm. Um, they have an idea that, oh, when you go for a C-section within maybe within 30 to 45 minutes, you know, you get news. Oh, everything went well. So while he was outside, because they don't allow the fathers to come in during the epidural uh, 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 administration. Mm-hmm. It's after you fully prep, okay, you're ready to uh, uh, get on the operating table. That's when they have the father come in. So he's outside just waiting in the dark for 45 to an hour. No one goes to him and say, look, this is taking a little extra time. Nothing. So, He's out there with his own thing, uh, thoughts, thinking, okay, maybe something's going on uh, wrong. So when he was finally had an opportunity to get into the room, you could tell that this man also was traumatized because at this point he doesn't know like what is he walking into now, like what happened, is this something, is there any complication? So I think healthcare providers having a, a, a the the decency to keep the father in the loop. Give them, make it more inclusive and supportive for them to be part of the process. If something is taking a long time, give them a heads up. So that way you don't have someone outside thinking the worst, Mm -hmm. you know, and we tend to, when it comes to pregnancy, our minds naturally go to worst case scenario. If you don't hear, 
it's not the situation where no no news is good news. No, something's happening if you don't hear good uh, uh, the news. So I really do think that more need more involvement, more considerations need to be given to those fathers that are waiting, um, um, either during the delivery stage or in the postpartum stage when there's a care plan that's been put into place, you know, incorporate them into the process because it's not just, you know, when you're grateful to have a unit, it's not just you, it's the partner as well. Right. Right. And as, as you're speaking, I'm just kind of like synthesizing what you've said before. It just sounds like there's just a lack of communication when it comes, I, I don't, I don't know, but I feel like when it comes to us, it's like, yes. we don't need to inform them of everything. We're just going to do what we got to do. And in some cases, yes, there are emergencies, but again, that's where there's a team, right? Somebody can step out and let the father know, or somebody could inform you that, Hey, the person who has his hands in your back is a student. Yes. They are not the attending. They are not, you know, chief resident. Like they, like they are, they are a student. And you know what I mean? Like, it just seems as if when you, when you talk about this, this lack of consideration, it seems to be very, very, very prominent. And I, and, and I don't know, I can't put my finger on why they just feel as if they don't need to share pertinent and important information. But I think that when we, you know, when we, when we start discussing, I guess, what roles healthcare providers and systems, you know, what can they do to make, to, to make us more comfortable, to provide more support. That I think is, is for me, number one, because that happened to me when I had my emergency C-section, mm-hmm. it was, you know, my son wasn't moving and they're like, Oh, we'll come back in an hour. We'll do some, you know, some, some, some tests to see maybe if he's responsive. And it was just like, all right, emergency C-section. And it's very scary, especially at that time, you know, my son was three months early. So I never went to a Lamaze class. I have no idea what's going on, but there was no real, like, even before when, when, you know, the, there, there was an alarm, there was a flag at that point, somebody should have said, okay, here's what's going on. We're not a hundred percent sure, but I want to, you know, let you know that these are some options. This is what could happen. Yeah. might have to get an emergency C-section. You might have to. Is there anybody you would like to call to be at the hospital right now? Because I was alone. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's this lack of information, this lack of consideration. Um, and I, you know, I've, that's the theme that I'm, I'm getting yeah. far from this, but. No, it, it certainly is. And I can, and I can, you know, briefly share with you a scenario where it actually went right when there was communication. During my third pregnancy, you know, when my, my husband was in the room and he was monitoring everything, where at one point my blood pressure started going dropping, and the nurse and the doctors they have to monitor it because they have to give you certain medication to maintain it at a certain level. And the minute my husband, everybody was like so involved in trying to just, you know, get the baby out. The minute my husband noticed that my blood pressure was dropping, he alerted someone's like, hey, take a look at her blood pressure because it's dropping. And then the, the one of the doctors realized that, oh, no, it's actually starting to drop super low. And he actioned that. So there was no there was no situation where, like, oh, no, he doesn't know what he's talking about or or, or disregard to what he, uh, what he said. They were. It was an environment where it was 
full consideration and being alert to what both the patient and the person in there supporting them, what they are observing. Mm -hmm. And when you have lack of communication, lack of consideration, those are the factors that leads to what we have right now. Right. And like you said, why are some groups, is that, is that the same lack of communication, lack of consideration for other groups? I don't know. But the numbers right now speak for themselves in that there's clearly a problem. Right. And so many black mothers have said the same thing where my pain has been disregarded. I've, I've called this doctor. I've said that I have this concern, but they say, oh, no, it's going to be OK. And next thing you know, somebody is rushing into ER with, with the possibility of, of not making it out. Right. Right. What you said it resonates. The numbers do not lie. So, you know, we, you know, we, because we don't have this empirical data in front of us, you know, we have to speak in this, like, you know, the possibilities, the maybes, but the numbers don't lie in terms of black women are disproportionately affected by maternal health than, than our counterparts. Um, but I do want, you know, I know Ken's not here, but I do <laughs> want to commend Ken for being such an active partner. And I'm just hoping that this can inspire other men yeah. Whether that's your wife, whether that's your girlfriend, whether that's, you know, whatever side situation, but how important it is to have that partnership when it comes mm-hmm. to, you know, childbirth, especially because if Ken wasn't in the room monitoring, if he wasn't involved, if he wasn't, you know, if he was not um, vocal, yeah. you know, what could happen, right? So it's that teamwork yeah. that's necessary. And I also think that when there is a man, unfortunately, this is society, but when they're there, they act as this like extra muscle. Yes. So if you were there by yourself, maybe they wouldn't listen to you. Yeah. But when they hear the bass of that black man's voice, maybe yeah. that might, you know, that might change things a little bit. And so, I feel like we have to really think about some of these 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 things. They're not it's not minor, right? These yes. are a huge thing to have your partner be active. And for you, I would say it probably saved your life. It's a, I really do think it did. Yeah. I really do think it did. And like you said, it's all it took was him being vocal. Yeah. And alert someone that hey, her blood pressure is is, is dropping low. Mhm. Yeah. I think it's important for for us, especially as women, to be in tune with our bodies, in tune with what even, you know, we're not healthcare professionals, all of us, but we do need to know what are our numbers, right? Meaning blood pressure. Like for me, I go into a doctor's office. They're like, oh, your blood pressure is fine. No, it's not because I know my numbers. That's not my numbers. And so I think that knowing your numbers, you know, really being in tune with your body can help. And then not being afraid to speak out. Because a lot of times we give so much deference to the healthcare system, to our doctors, because we're like, well, they have to know. And that's not always the case because in in my situation with my son, they told me they were monitoring everything. Yeah. But I know my body and my son was a soccer player in my, in my stomach. Yeah. And that specific day, I felt no kicking. And the nurse came. She's like, oh, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm fine. And then as she walked away, I was like, you know what? Actually, I haven't felt him kick all day. That's what had them come in. And they're like, he's not moving. It's been an hour. He's still not moving. And that's what prompted the emergency. But imagine if I, if I was just like, well, no, I'm in the hospital. They said they have monitors. 
they said they said I'm good. I don't yeah. have to say anything. So we have to speak. We have to, we yeah. have to, it's our body, it's our lives. Yeah. And you know, I remember when I was doing a panel last year, one of the panelists was like, if that health healthcare system, if that doctor is not listening to you, find somebody else. Yes. 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 Because it's your life after all. It's your life. Yeah. Now I do want to ask, so with the three kids, were they all uh, born in the same hospital? Like, was there a difference in in where each of them, you know, were born? Because I know you talked about the high quality and low quality. Yeah. We're obviously not shouting out these hospitals. Oh, yes. So yes. We can have an understanding of, you know, um, you know, maybe like what some of these differences were. Yeah. The first two, they were born in the same hospital but different facilities. Mm, and, yeah. you know, I love New York. I miss New York. That makes a big difference. It can have the same name, but depending on where it's located, right. I mean, we know. So I do think that um, there were so many, so many factors that went into how the treatment was so different. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think... Um, with the OBGYN that I had with the, you know, the, the doc, the other doctors and nurses that I had up until delivery, everything was consistent, but up until the delivery, there were information that should have been communicated that was not communicated. And during the, 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 the epidural um, uh, administration, it shouldn't have, it should not have taken 45 to an hour after this person poured so much anesthesia in my body, you know, it should not have taken that long for someone to get the sense that, no, something is wrong here. Let me get somebody else involved so we could, one, make sure she's okay. And two, make sure that we're still very much on schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, for the third pregnancy, it, I have to say, I mean, you know, you, you know this, that, during my third pregnancy, I'd, I had got, uh, caught COVID. Mm-hmm. And that also something that added another layer of anxiety and trauma. Mm-hmm. It was back in 2021. You go on Google and you type pregnancy and COVID. All you see is woman die, child die, or both die. Mm-hmm. So I was navigating a lot of overwhelming trauma and anxiety at the time. But what I am grateful for is that the OBGYN that I had, all the doctors that I had, they made sure that they took care of me. My doctor knew how scared I was even after I tested negative um, for COVID. Because when I went to do my follow-up, the first time I heard my baby's um, heartbeat, I cried. Because I knew that no one at the time fully understand after you catch COVID as a pregnant mm-hmm. woman, what the impact it will have on the baby. And I remember my doctor literally hold, taking time to hold my hand, telling me that you're okay and your baby going to be okay. Because she shared with me that she had a patient that was pregnant and the, preg- the, 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 the patient did not make it. Mm. You know, so I think like the just having just like open communication, having a space to share your fear and anxiety 
without feeling like, okay, it's going to be dismissed because, you know, as attorneys, you know how, you know, when somebody is sharing facts with you, sometimes we can take, we are literally just trying to piece the facts together with the law. But in medicine, I think that, yes, they know out of like you venting out your concern, there's maybe just two pieces (laughs) that that goes towards them giving you a medical diagnosis it's still important that human factor. We are human. Our cares or concern are valid. And I am so grateful that I had a doctor that gave me the time and I had an anesthesiologist that gave me the time and space to share those experiences. So I think that the three experiences, two of them had some consistent, but just South stark difference. And my third one was just completely, completely different experience. Right. So I want to ask, you know, your, your, you know, your, the, the first, the first pregnancy, second pregnancy, third pregnancy, you know, what was your research process? Cause I know you're a researcher. I know you go down rabbit holes. <laughs> so for somebody who's, who's tuning in is like, you know what, like all this is overwhelming. Right. And maybe they're pregnant right now and they're just like, like, we should, I mean, I don't want to say we should be scared, but it's a very, especially when you are a, a, a C-section yes. mom, right? Because for me, I had a C-section, which means my next will have to be a C-section. Mm. That's, an, that's a surgery on top of, so it's scary. So, so somebody could be tuning in and they're just like, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm just scared with this process. How, how did you go about researching um, you know, facilities, doctors, um, you know, just kind of take us through your process because it's not, it's not as simple as let me go online and type in doctors for, you know, for, for black, for black people or whatever the search was. So (laughs) talk to us about that. Um, maybe share some, some of your tips of how you really identified facilities and physicians. Yeah. Um, I think that it's a combination of things, right? Um, I love to Google, but when you Google, you open a door of just too much information. Mm -hmm. So how do you sort this information? I think that, um, I use different websites for doctors. Um, you know, I narrow my search to, you know, what I'm looking for, but also I read reviews. That's one. The reviews, yes, you'll find a couple of, some may not necessarily reflect everyone's experience, Mm -hmm. but when you're reading these reviews and the numbers of people that are complaining about the same issue, you have to take that into account Mm -hmm. because then it's not just one isolated, um, irate patient. That may be give, that give you an indication. Oh, okay, this is a, a specific theme for this a particular uh, doctor. But also, like visit like you know reputable site OBGYN associations. You know what are the, the the hospital's credentials? What are the doctors' credentials? That mattered as well. But also speaking with with with, with um, our friends and family, because sometimes the way I got my doctor was through a, rec- a recommendation, but the the chain of command of the recommendation was me reaching out to my prior OBGYN. She happens to know someone who lived in Jersey at the time. 
And then from that connection, I was able to get connected to my 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 recent uh, OBGYN. But then, of course, my next step was to make sure that I research her profile. Mm-hmm. What are her patients are saying about her? What are the common themes that I'm identifying? And then on the first on your first case of meeting with uh, the with uh, with your doctor, don't be afraid to ask difficult questions. Let them know, okay, this is the reason why I'm. I'm leaning towards you. These are the specific things that's making me lean towards you. We have to ask questions of our healthcare providers. It's not just you choosing someone out of the dark because that can be more problematic down the line. Mm-hmm. So having given yourself enough time to thoroughly research, having a friend give you a recommendation or another healthcare provider that you trust give you a recommendation all of that could be things that can narrow the possibility of connecting with the wrong healthcare provider. Uh, provider. Right. And as you're saying that, I think about the many people who literally just, I need a doctor, let me just click this, this profile. Or there's a clinic next to my house, let me just ask them, hey, I need an OBGYN, who's the next available? I always find that the next available yeah. might not be not? the one that you that you need. Let's just put it that way. You know, the next of if this person's schedule is so open, that's a problem. That is a red flag. As as I'm navigating, you know, the healthcare system, you know, for other issues, I my appointments are being three months out, four months out. Do I like it? No. But unless it's the next available because there was a cancellation and you're on a priority list, I'm not so keen to just jump at the next. And so I think what you said uh, is really important for people to really, you know, consider when they are looking for these healthcare providers, do not just let me just go online and find somebody. And I would also say as much as we are trying to, you know, find individuals who can identify, who can maybe empathize and understand our plight because we are mm-hmm. black just picking somebody because they're black oh yes it's also a no no oh yes i am so glad you mentioned this because i really do think that in the push for making sure that black women are being treated by those who are have that cultural competency and have that empathy there's been this push to just go to a black provider. Mm-hmm. That needs, that's very loaded. And that needs to really, people need to be careful with that because black providers, black healthcare providers are still healthcare providers. So they may, you may encounter one that doesn't show you the same compassion, that dismiss your pain and concerns. So while it's a good factor, it's mm-hmm. helpful in terms of, trying to identify someone that may have that cultural competency, I think it's very, very important to still go back to the list of what do I need out of a healthcare provider? Mm-hmm. And does that specific healthcare provider provide will prov- provide me exactly what I'm um what I'm seeking? Because at the end of the day, in this crisis, Progress is not okay. Let me make sure they uh, uh, black women is treated by uh, black mm-hmm. women. No, that's not progress. True progress is when you are able to go to a healthcare provider 
no matter what his or her color is, and you you can say you've gotten equitable and adequate health care. Yeah. That's true progress. Yeah. I agree with you there. Yeah. I, I just, as I'm noticing this trend, um, you know, as a black person, I, I get it. You want to be able to support your own because even in these fields, you know, we're marginalized and, and, and all these other things, but it's, it's your life. Yeah. And you have to, if you are not taking the steps to ensure the safe, your safety, how are we out here expecting other people to do the same? Right. Yeah. Um, so I just want to ask this last question of you, you know, I know we talked about so many different things. Um, what advice would you give to black women, whether they're currently on their motherhood journey right now, or they are, you know, hoping to become pregnant? Um, what advice do you have for them, you know, as they're navigating this maternal healthcare world? Um, well, I would say that journey is overwhelming enough, right? It's a natural overwhelming and joyful experience, right? It's supposed to be more joyful than overwhelming. But I think that until this crisis is control, black women need to continue to educate themselves about their rights. Mm -hmm. The sooner you do that, the better. Um, Before you choose a healthcare provider, put in the work to do your research. Narrow down the list of your healthcare providers. Don't be afraid to jump ship after a couple of visits if you don't think that, okay, this relationship is not working. Because you don't have to stick with one OBGYN during your uh, uh, um, uh, uh, pregnancy. I think that that's one thing that I um, I wish I knew um, in my, uh, my first pregnancy. And again, my OBGYN was great. But there are some moments where I'm like, oh, I'm not getting this. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I don't. I also don't want to change uh, uh, providers. You don't have to stick with one provider if it, the the relationship is not going the way you want it to go. So that's that's one way, uh, one suggestion. I'd also say that um, whenever you have an opportunity to inform your healthcare provider about your history, about your concerns, you do that. Mm-hmm. because you think that sometimes your history is on paper. Yes, the overall history is on paper, but there are specific histories that they may not be privy to. It's up to you to inform them of your history. It's up to you if you had a past trauma. Your past trauma may not be translated in, uh, in medical paper as a past trauma. So you have to do the work to inform your providers. And the minute that you realize that your provider is not listening to your concerns or paying attention to the pain, you need to make sure that if you're at home and you call your doctor and say, here's what I'm experiencing. And he or she says, oh, no, don't worry about it. Just go, just go lay down. I can count so many times I've been told to go lay down and rest when I'm already resting while I'm having the pain. No, I'm going to go to the, to, the, uh, to the hospital. Someone will need to action what this concern is. Mm-hmm. And if it end up being nothing, guess what? It's okay. At least I did the work to address my concerns. And I think that it's also very important for you to talk to your friends. 
You know, if you're feeling something that's odd, if you had friends who've had, who've been pregnant before, reach out to your friends and say, Hey, I'm feeling something. Is that odd? Am I supposed to feel this? If you go to Google, Google will tell you this is, you're not supposed to feel this. Right. Okay. And it can just get you completely on the, on the rabbit hole. So I think like, if you have a community that where you, your friends have, have gone through pregnancies, reach out, don't be afraid to reach out to your friends and families. Yeah. Because I think it's through the co- having open communications, learning what's happening to your body and identifying what's normal, what's not normal. That's what we can do to help reduce these numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally agree with you there. I think those tips, I think that advice is sound advice. And I really do hope that those who are tuning in um, can put it into practice because I can't say this enough. It's your life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think growing up, especially, I mean, I can only speak to my experience, our experience as Haitian Americans. Um, there is this deference a lot of times that we give to healthcare providers that we give to the doctor, maybe not so much the nurse, yeah. <laughs> but definitely the doctor. And I, you know, I, even myself, like I didn't know that you could like switch up doctors in, in the middle of, of, of your, you know, your, um, I guess your, your, your childbirthing process. Right. And I, and I feel like some of us might know we can, but we're like, yeah. Oh, we don't, you know, we don't want to hurt. Feelings. Yeah. And then the convenience, like, Oh, I got to do this all over again. And it's like that slight inconvenience compared to what the outcome could be for you. It's like we have to start thinking ahead and we have to start being more critical in our thinking, you know? Mm -hmm. So I definitely, you know, everything that you said today, I think will resonate with, with somebody. And I really appreciate you again for, you know, because every time you, you, you talk about your experience, you're kind of reliving a little bit of it and and that's trauma sometimes, right? So I thank you for being vulnerable and, and being open. And I think as we are uh, raising awareness during this week, uh, maternal Black Maternal Health Week is April 11th through the 17th. Um, I think that it's it's important to have more of these conversations uh, and to share more stories. You know, yeah. it's one thing to have the doctor or somebody talk about it, but it's another to have real life people who are out here in these streets talking yeah. about, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we share so much, right? Right. We share so much on social media. Um, You know, you know this about me. I always say that in social media, sometimes it's great to show the the, the happy kids uh, pictures. It's great to see, you know, the happy life. But I really do think there are so many Black women that have gone through traumatic experiences. And sometimes they may not even realize that, oh, this was not normal. Mm -hmm. This was not normal until they hear someone says, this was definitely not normal. And this is my experience. Yeah. So I encourage you all out there who are, you know, tuning in to find ways to create more spaces to have these kinds of conversations, because when it comes to reducing the numbers to eradicating this, this disproportionality, right. That exists. um, We need to have more conversations. A lot of us just don't know what we don't know. And, Hopefully, healthcare providers who may be tuning in can also maybe think as to how they could do better because it's not just us, you know, being empowered and and being vocal. Like the change also needs to happen on the healthcare side. They need to do some 
I don't know if it's some training on like cultural competency. I don't know what it is, but well, they need to be aware, right? Right. Being aware of that. We all carry implicit bias. And if it gets into your workspace, you have a duty to acknowledge it and address it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I know you are a mother of three. And so you have to get back to your babies. So thank you again for taking the time to talk to me today and to really just talk to the world and share your story with everyone. Guys, this is how we continue to raise awareness on these very important issues. So Marley, again, thank you so much. And and everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of According to RP on WJMS Media, powered by Black Ivy Media. And with that being said, I will talk to you guys next week. You were listening to According to RP on WJMS Radio. About time you tuned in. Tune in each and every Sunday. Can't wait to come back. 7 p.m.